Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn quickly with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and then I want you to hold your spot and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. 1 Samuel 18 and Philippians chapter 4. And I want to talk with you for just a moment this morning about the life of David. And you, if, I, if I were to say the phrase to you, David and Goliath, instantly there's a resonance in your heart and in your mind. You know the story. It is perhaps one of the most infamous stories of all times. As I said a few weeks ago, people know the terminology and the, and the analogy of David and Goliath, even if they don't know the story from a biblical context of David and Goliath. They just understand that. That is, that is a pivotal point in the life of a young man named David. It is, it is one of the most epic occurrences in his lifetime. Um, but second to that, I'd say, and, or very close second to that moment, that occasion in his life is another. And it is an exchange. It is a, it's a series of exchanges between himself and the then king of Israel by the name of Saul. It, this is, has to be one of the most epic accounts of David's lifetime, one of his biggest struggles. And if you remember this story, I want you to track with me. And if you don't, if you don't then I want you to lean in really hard here and, and let's all grow together in the word today and be encouraged. But just a moment here for a couple of character identifications. First of all, we're going to have Saul. This is not the Saul of the New Testament who later became Paul, the preacher of the gospel. This is Saul in the Old Testament who was anointed the very first king of the nation of Israel. And then we have David. David at this point has been anointed to be king one day. But in the present time, for the time being, he's a shepherd boy and historical narrative lets us see that he is seemingly insignificant. As a matter of fact, when the prophet, the man of God, came to the house of his father to select the next king from among his sons, his dad didn't even call to him from the sheepfold to come in and be considered for kingship. He said, That's, uh, yeah, I got another boy out here, but I mean, I didn't bother to bring him in. I mean, that, you're, that is a vote against most likely to succeed if you're not following along. And this is his father. <laughs> and so, so here they are, and we're going to accelerate this story now to chapter 17 when we get to this, this infamous moment in time here when David goes out in a moment when there is a giant from Gath by the name of Goliath who is there cursing the armies of God and speaking blasphemies against the God of heaven and the entire Israeli army including Saul their fearless leader is standing on a far hillside quaking in their boots shuddering at the thought of having to go out and face this giant nonetheless entered this little insignificant shepherd boy with some bread and cheese and things for his brethren and he says, hey, what's going on with this big, big guy over here and who's going to take care of his potty mouth? He's blaspheming against God. Somebody needs to do something. And I feel an unction, an anointing that I'm the guy. And so he does. And David slew the giant. And from that point forward, he begins to find his way into the king's graces. 
you know, as you and I would be in this moment. I mean, if a guy like this shows up on our team, we're like, yes, thank you, Lord, that you have provided a giant slayer for our army. We are so thankful to have this guy. He becomes very best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, and he begins to climb the military ranks. In fact, uh, 1 Samuel 18 tells us that whatever mission that Saul sent David out on, that he excelled in it, and, and Saul began to give him more and more and more influence in his army. And everything is going well for David until... Everybody say, until... Suddenly things begin to change and that brings us to our text today in 1 Samuel 18 beginning in verse 6 and it says this now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women came out of all the cities of Israel and they were singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with joy and with musical instruments so the women sang as they danced and said Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands uh oh and then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him and he said they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they ascribed only thousands here it is you ready this is the basis of our message today the very last phrase here in this verse that says now what more can he have but the kingdom what more can he have but the kingdom? And from that point forward, Saul began to keep a really close eye on David. He said, I, I've got my suspicions about your motives. I know what you're going to try. I know how you're going to come against me. And I am watching you. Don't think for a second that it, is not, it, that it has escaped my notice. That your popularity is increasing. That your notoriety in this community is, is, is increasing. I see what's going on here and I am suspicious now that the only thing that's left for you to do is to come after my kingdom. I want to tell you today at the onset of this message that God has called you and God has created you to be you. And there's nobody else that can be you. There's nobody else that's ordained, that is created, that is, that is uh, anointed to be you except you. And in this instance here, we have a man who was called by God, he was created by God, and he was anointed by God in this season of his life to serve as the king of the nation of Israel. Do you see where I'm going with this? And you are called to be you. But in this moment of his suspicion, he begins to look at David and say, Uh-huh, you're coming after what God has created and what God has ordained and God has anointed me to be. You're going to try to slide in here and get into my anointing, get into my calling, get into my gift, and take away from what God is doing in my life. Let me tell you something today, church. If God gave it to you, there's not a devil in hell. There's not a person on earth. There's not a situation or a circumstance that can change it. If God said it, that settles it. And his call and election in your life is sure. <laughs> And here's the problem. Some of us have come to believe 
that suspicion, we're a Pentecostal church if you didn't know, if you've not observed already. We believe in the power and the working of the manifestation of the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's a sad reality. We believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. I believe in the word of prophecy, the word of knowledge. I believe in tongues and interpretation. I, I believe in the gift, the gift of healing. I believe in, in all of that. You read it in the book of Corinthians, I, I believe it, every bit of it. But here's the problem. We're not supposed to add to or take from the word, amen? And some of us have come to believe that the gift of suspicion is a spiritual gift. We call it discernment. It's just flat-out suspicion. There's a difference between being suspect of something and being discerning of a reality. And we need to closely guard our lives for the difference, and I'm going to share with you why right here in just a second. And I have nine minutes to do it. Who can cheer me on? That's what hungry folks sound like in church. So from this time forward, the relationship, now I want you to remember, here, here's the guy that, that a little bit ago we were praising God for and thanking him for being in our lives because he is a giant slayer. We're so appreciative of him that we begin to give him promotion. We begin to give him influence among our armies. But now, because suspicion has come in and we begin to look differently and say, hey, I think that guy's trying to crowd in on my anointing. This, this relationship begins to deteriorate and it deteriorates so badly that it actually comes to the point that one of David's jobs was to, was to stand in Saul's courts and when Saul became vexed because if, if you have not read, you need to read this entire narrative for yourself. Okay, I don't have time this morning to do it all. I had 17 pages of notes. I've condensed down to six. So, you're, you know, we're lucky we're where we're at. So, but you need to read this entire narrative for yourself. Because one of Saul, Saul had been a very bad guy, and, and he had disobeyed God, and because of that, he was vexed and troubled and all these things. And whenever he would begin to be vexed by these evil spirits, David would begin to play on his harp. Uh, and, and, those, and that would begin to alleviate some of that suffering. And one day as David was in the king's courts and, and Saul was just tore up and angst and all these things, David began to play and, in an attempt to soothe Saul and, and try to kind of, you know, bring some solace to, and peace to his mind and his heart. And Saul so agitated with this guy that this guy that yesterday we were thanking God for and, and, th and giving him promotions and all these things, today Saul is trying to pin him to the wall with his spear. And he actually takes his spear and throws it at David in an attempt to silence him and to kill him and to finish him off. And when suspicions, when we are suspicious of everyone and everything around us, at least in our own minds, we've made up these scenarios, do you know the assets become liabilities? Blessings become burdens. Peace leaves us, joy escapes us, and the things that should be blessings in our lives become great burdens. Wouldn't you have been delighted to have had David as a part of your military team? Come on. 
And, and, and this, this relationship keeps going downhill, downhill, downhill until finally we read a great portion of the narrative here where Saul and the entire Israeli army are out pursuing this man through the mountainside. The whole army has, has, Saul has issued a nationwide manhunt for this one guy because he's suspicious that he might be coming for his kingdom. Now to this point, there's no evidence whatsoever in scripture, there's nothing that indicates that David had done anything more than to try his best to serve both God and country. That's it. That's all we've read of his life to this point is that he had been a servant, he had been faithful to his king, and he had been faithful to his nation, he'd been faithful to his God, and there's no evidence whatsoever that he's coming after Saul's kingdom, but because he is suspect, he goes after him. And if we're not careful, we can allow our minds to be places that it should have never been. And we can think that someone has said something about us. We can think that people are competing against us when the fact of the matter is they're just trying to do their best and sometimes it just happens as in the case of David that their very best is very impressive. And we can assume that they're out to get us and believe it or not, there are some people who thrive on exactly that kind of mental drama. And here you say, Pastor, why are you bringing this word to us today? And, and here's why I bring it to us. Because we have no problem whatsoever identifying with David in this narrative. Because we can so readily assume a victim's mentality. We think that somebody's after us and we can see ourselves running from all of the adversarial pursuit. And, and we, just, we just, woe is me. But while we can readily see David in ourselves, we seldom can see Saul. We have more trouble spotting the Saul in ourselves. And Saul is in every one of us. And he manifests through things like feelings of inferiority, maybe a guilty conscience like Saul had, Maybe it's egotism that ain't nobody getting ahead of me. And to sum it all up in our hearts when we're holding grudges against someone or we're harboring bitterness and we're living in that shroud of suspicion as Saul was, it's too, it's, it too is as much an intent of our hearts towards the life of another as Saul taking up his spear and thrusting it at David. Or at least that's what Jesus says in the New Testament. You've heard you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, in as much as you've looked on another person, another woman, another, another individual with that intent in your heart, then you've done it. You've heard you should not kill, but in as much as you harbor that grudge and that bitterness and you have those wicked thoughts again, you've done it. Now here's the thing. How many of you believe that the king of Israel probably had a, a very important and a very pressing agenda? Okay, three of you, that's great. Like, there's surely something this guy has to do that's important, right? 
He's the king of the nation. There should be something that commands his attention, that dominates his time, that leads his kingdom forward and leads him forward in national pursuits. Yet, here we are on the mountainside hunting a guy that at this point has done nothing but serve as a national hero. And I want to show you why this kind of distraction is a powerful tool in the hand of the enemy. I want to show you because there are many for whom God has planned a life in which he desires for you to find joy and to find peace. God has planned a life of happiness and harmony. God has given you the ability for prosperity and poised you for success. And we're out chasing our suspicions instead of walking in God's truth for our lives. A suspicious mind is counterproductive on so many levels. So many levels. And Saul was anointed king over Israel. He still had breath in his body, which means that God still had purpose for his life. And as long as that was the case, God's purpose and call and anointing for Saul was to be the king of Israel. My point to you is this. That, that God has breath in your body and as long as there is breath in your body, God has a purpose, God has an anointing, God has a calling for you and as I said earlier, there is nothing that can change that. The haters can't change that. Situations can't rearrange that. Nothing can deter God's plan for your life except you. And if the adversary can, he will come in and he will sow the seeds of suspicion. And rather than us being about our kingdom duty, we'll be off on the hillside, roaming through the wilderness, chasing down our suspicions. And here's what happens. Verse 26. Saul was going along the side of the mountain. And David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly. Why? Well, because Saul, you should have been at home, sitting in your God-appointed position, resting secure in your calling and, your, and the power of God to sustain you, but instead, you're out here chasing this one guy through the wilderness. And the enemy has crept in. And I want to tell you, while the devil gets you distracted and you're suspect of your brothers and sisters all around you, you're suspect of somebody that doesn't look like you, that doesn't have the same color skin as you, that doesn't vote the same way as you, that doesn't believe exactly the same. While we're out chasing around all those suspicions, the adversary comes into our house and begins to wreak havoc on us because we've not only got a suspicious mind, but a suspicious mind will lead to waste of time. Time that we could be pursuing God's call and God's purpose in our lives. We're out chasing these suspicions around. And, and Saul had to leave. Listen to this. Saul had to leave what didn't matter to take care of what did. 
And in other words, he had to quit wasting his time in order to go and take care of business. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the kicker. He didn't foresee the enemy coming because he was so consumed with an issue that didn't matter. You ever find that happen in life? We're just blindsided by the adversary because we're worried about stuff that didn't even matter to start with. Saul had no offensive plan. His only strategy was to keep the enemy out who was advancing on him. And when you and I are so consumed with our suspicions, we fail to prepare offensively, and all that we can do is scramble to keep the devil out of the middle of our lives. We're not praying offensively. We're not... We're not filling our lives with faith to keep him from advancing. We're too busy doing other things than what God has anointed us to do, and the enemy's coming. Furthermore, what we're supposed to be doing isn't getting done because we're convinced of a lie, and suspicion is leading our lives and not the Lord. There's no reason that Saul wasn't situated. Can I, this is a word for the troubled. This is a word for the anxious today, okay? And I need you to listen to me. There, there's no reason for you tonight not to go home and lay your head down and rest in peace. There, there's no reason for you today not to enjoy this day. There's no reason for you not to rejoice in this day that, the God, that God has made for you and blessed you to see. Because even though earth hinders and hell rages, all will work for good for you. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to work out. You don't have to be suspicious. So here, let's jump over to Philippians 4 and we're going to wrap up. Paul wrote as a counselor here to the church at Philippi. And he says these words, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble... Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And, and we stress and we emphasize whatever is noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellence, and praiseworthy. We, we, I don't know why. Sometimes we just skip over things to get to what, you know, what we think is sensational or whatever we think is our favorite part. But I want, you to, I want you to really notice this here, and I believe that Scripture is inspired and the words are ordered as they are for a reason. And the very first thing that Paul says there in that verse is that whatever things are true, whatever things are true, that is a foundational statement that all of our thoughts should flow from, then that is the foundation of truth. Not an assumed truth, not a suspected truth. I mean, well, I know it's not you, so I'm not going to ask. I'll just confess, okay? I can't tell you the number of times that I have felt very, very foolish because I have operated according to an assumed truth to later find out that it was not valid in any way. Not a suspected truth, not even a second-hand truth. That's, 
that's not another sermon. That's an entire other series, okay, about the secondhand truth. Our thoughts and the way we order and operate our lives are to be according to validated, verified, and well-evidenced and established truth. And you will know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And too many people are like Saul and they're running around in the wilderness trying to kill David for something that's not even real and they're wasting precious time and energy and they're far too preoccupied to enjoy the calling and the life that God has given them. I titled this message, You Thought. Because so oftentimes the adversary comes in and ever so subtly he'll sow these seeds of suspicion in our minds. And we think, and we're wrong. My prayer for you today is that you walk in the truth and that you are so liberated by that truth that you don't waste precious time chasing after suspicion, innuendo and all that, but a God-breathed, validated truth governs your life and you walk in peace and you walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I lift your people to you today. I praise you for them, I thank you for them. God, I pray your anointing over their lives. God, I pray every day that your spirit reminds them of your truth in their lives. God, I pray that they not be distracted by the seeds of suspicion sown by our adversary. But Lord, we embrace every asset that you've poured into our lives. We embrace the Davids that you've put around us. We embrace the friendships. We embrace the relationships. And we operate in those in the truth. Free from fear, free from suspicion, free from worry, free from anxiety. Full of joy, full of peace, full of hope, full of happiness. Bless and keep your people this day, I pray, in the strong name of Jesus. Let your anointing be upon them, God, all this week. God, as they seek you in their, in their prayer closets, God, meet them powerfully in the presence and person of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we give you the glory, the praise, and all the honor, asking it all in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.